Welcome to Double Fries No Slaw. It is Sunday, the 26th of September. Myself, TJ Pittenger, Richie Barnes. Uh, coming to you after another loss. 0-4 to start the year. We'll get into all of that in just a moment. Richie, how was your weekend? I can't complain, man. It's It's been a, a really fun weekend. Got out to uh, play some golf yesterday. Watched a lot of golf all day, Friday and Saturday. Uh, in the Ryder Cup, watching you know, Brooks and Daniel Berger. Uh, obviously watched the game yesterday. Not not as exciting as as the rest of the sports I've been watching, but now just nursing a little bit of a hangover. So I, I'm powering through for you, the listeners. Um, we appreciate your effort and we appreciate your uh, your dedication to power through the hangover. Um, yeah, no, good weekend. I got up pretty early yesterday um, and went, my dad's uh, my dad has a bunch of like a big truck and trailer. And so I went and grabbed that and then basically moved my entire garage over to the new house. We closed on the house on Friday morning. And so um, we don't close on our house until about a week and a half. And so slowly moving stuff over. So I moved the entire garage over everything but the Peloton. So That's that a I project right there. Next week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, that was a lot of work. There was a fridge in it. There was a workbench. There was, you know, but it feels good for that to be kind of cleaned out. And then, you know, we're going to slowly pack up the house and um, move some stuff next weekend. And then the movers come to, to grab the big stuff um, later that, you know, kind of a week from this Wednesday or Thursday or somewhere around there. So our goal is to kind of move the little stuff little by little and not pay movers to do that. So anyway, but yeah, I got home, watched the, Second, third, and fourth quarters of the game. Listen to Gene on the way home. We'll talk about all that in just a minute. But yeah, still an overall good weekend. Just just got back from church, so we're recording this through the day and then airing it live later when we normally go. Um, so we're not live. Hopefully after a Bucks win and after a uh, Team USA win. Yeah, if Team USA, we just talked about it. If Team USA blows it. That's not gonna uh, <laughs> not gonna be good. They're they're uh, they're up big right now. So. Double Fries No Slaw brought to you by Guthrie's in Tallahassee. You can visit both their locations, 1818 West Tennessee Street and 2550 North Monroe. Tell them Double Fries No Slaw sent you. I actually spoke with them late last week. We've got another giveaway coming. So if you're in Tallahassee or you're traveling to Tallahassee for any games throughout the rest of the year, how many home games are left? NC State, um, UMass, Miami, Miami uh, Syracuse this week. There might just be four home games left. That's yeah. it, yeah. Um, so if you're going to Tallahassee for any of those games or for basketball season that starts in, I don't know, six and a half weeks. Um, I think we're about 49 days today. So. 49? I think you're off there. I think it's like 45. But you can We're close. Just to, we're close. Yeah. So if you're going up to any basketball games, anything else, we will have some giveaways going on uh, with the good folks over at Guthrie's. 1818 West Tennessee, 2550 North Monroe. Slide by, by both of those locations. Okay, so Florida State drops a game to Louisville, 31-23. to 23. Um, A game in which they started pretty slowly, started pretty poor on both sides of the ball. Really, all three sides of the ball were not excellent yesterday by any means. Um, got a little close, had a chance to, to maybe make uh, some noise late, but just could not find that big drive late in the second half that would give Florida State a chance to maybe tie it up. Um, initial reaction as as uh as as the game was ending what were your thoughts on the game we'll kind of get into the game and specific things that went on but what was your kind of initial quick reaction after the loss yesterday 
Yeah, just just another frustrating uh, game to watch, right? You know, it's uh, I almost wish they had just blown us out instead of giving us some uh, false hope there at the end. Uh, you know, the defense comes out; they have a huge pass play early on, and it's you know here we go again. So seventeen to zero in the first quarter, and, and I'm just thinking, man, what are we doing here? Uh, you have 31 points in the first half, so it, you know the the fire Adam Fuller train is you know steaming right along. And then the defense comes out and pitches a shutout in the second half, and the offense almost does enough, but it, it wasn't obviously. And I think that's the frustrating part because it's a third your third game out of four that you've had chances to win it late and didn't capitalize. And now the record's own four, and they look like an zero and four football team. Yeah, I mean there were, I mean there are probably, and we'll get into some of them. You know, at this point, since we don't have any real victories, we'll just have to kind of count up the moral victories that we can find and try to take positives away. There were positives in the game yesterday, but at the end of the day, like you said, I mean, they look like an 0-4 football team, and that's what they are, you know? And so um, there's really not a way to sugarcoat that. There's really not a way to say, like, oh, they're, you know, they're inches away. And at the end of the day, they're, a, you know, Florida State is a bad football program, a bad football team. Um you know, bad football program is kind of a weird thing to say, but right right now it's not a great program, but they're a bad football team and you're, you're going to make mistakes and you're going to have um, negative things happen and you're going to go through these growing pains. And what you'd like is you'd like to make the mistakes that Florida State makes and you'd like to have the, the growing pains, but they're just making too many right now to be able to like – play poorly and still find a way to win and then say like, Oh, it really almost cost us. Like, you know, I don't, I know you said you didn't watch it, but uh, Florida played pretty poorly in the first half last night against Tennessee, but Florida's good enough to, um, you know, compensate for those mistakes and then play a good second half and move on. Right. Florida state played a bad first half and then they were the better team in the second half, but they they're not good enough to overcompensate or to compensate for those mistakes. Florida played a bad first half against Tennessee last year, but they're good enough to kind of turn things on and they didn't dig themselves a 24 point hole, which is pretty tough to come back from. Um, And so we're not good enough right now to make as many mistakes as, as we have. And then, you know, come all the way back or or find a way to win. Um, But like you said, the first half started really poorly. Second half better. We'll kind of talk about some specific things within it, but you, you mentioned the defense first, offense and defense, both both pretty bad in the first half. Um, the offense did manage to score once at the very end of the half, kind of a quick um, a, a quick drive that um, – no, our offense scored twice. Sorry about that. We, uh, we did score twice, a good drive at the end of the first quarter, beginning of the second, and then a drive at the end of the first half in which we scored really, really quickly in like 40 seconds. But the defense, I don't know. It's it's tough to say the defense cost you the game, but at the end of the day, your your offense can't put up 30 a game. And so when the defense comes out and lets Louisville score on its first four possessions and allows um, – I'm sorry, score on their first five possessions, um, one, two, three, four touchdowns and a field goal, uh, it's, it's tough – to expect that the offense is going to be able to put up 31 points. The offense got close, had some chances in the second half, but the defense, I, and I really don't know what changed. I mean, I think Louisville's game plan changed and that helped a lot, but 
at one point yesterday, Louisville was nine for 10 on third down. The one third down stop we did get uh, was they ended up kicking a field goal. Um, and so, yeah, we stopped them. But after they had driven the length of the field and put up three points. Um, and after that point, you know, Louisville never scored again. But how was the defense so bad yesterday situationally and on third down to start the game? Like, I don't know that I've ever seen 9 of 10 on third down. Like, I don't think Jameis and them ever were like 9 of 10 on third down. We weren't getting to a lot of third downs in 2013, so maybe that's why. But I I, I need some stat geek to tell me. Like, was was the 2013 team at any point in the season ever 9 for 10 on third downs? Like, I'd say probably not. Like, that is, that is hilariously awful. And that's the game, right? Because the uh... – they went uh, 0 for 8 on their final eight third down attempts uh, Louisville did. So you split those up a little bit and maybe you're not fighting back from a 24 point hold to where you can actually have yourself, you know, have a chance and everything. And it was a, it was a bad crowd, which we expected, you know, from the start, just that so many empty seats and being down by 24 points made it even worse. So now you don't really have the home field advantage that you're used to at Doak that we saw against Notre Dame in the opening game of the season. And it's just, you know, death by a thousand paper cuts, right? That You're doing what you should on first and second down to get them in a third down, but you just let them convert every third down. And it didn't matter if it was third and one, third and eight, third and 12, that Louisville was converting these. And you, you mentioned that this team's just bad situationally, but they're bad in every single situation, it seems, to where they're just a bad team. Like, I don't even care about situationally. But yeah, nine of 10 on third, like you have to try to be that bad, right? 90% on 10 attempts, you allow them to convert. And as you mentioned, the one we stopped and was a field goal. So it's okay. You say four points. Um, it didn't matter in the end. And you know, that this is where we are now. Yeah. The, the one that we got the stop on was after a um, clipping a 15 yard penalty. And so um, thank God that it pushed them back to first and 25. Now, they did they did get 12 yards on first down so you kind of thought like oh here they go they're going to convert again but uh, a couple incompletions by cunningham they did have to kick the field goal microcosm of the fsu season they kick a field goal hits the post and still bounces in um that's unfortunate for sure louisville did take a 17 to nothing lead um after that mckenzie milton was able to find mcdonald corbin had a couple of nice runs um and then Treshawn Ward finished it off with a 20 yard run. Um, there were some positives, like we said, you know, Florida State then gave up another score, another two scores to go down 31 to seven. And uh, they talk about the middle eight a lot. Florida State definitely won the middle eight, the last four minutes of the first half and the first four minutes of the second half. And that kind of got them back into the game. Florida State looked good on offense um, when they were, um, when they were in kind of a hurry up, no huddle. In fact, they, they may have scored a little bit too quickly. Fortunately, Louisville didn't score at the very end of the half, but Milton with some nice throws, uh, a throw for 20 yards to Wilson, a throw for 16 yards to Parchment, a throw to Corbin for 21, and then um, a throw to Parchment for 23 for a touchdown. Got Florida State kind of back in it, 31-13. Then they scored on the second play of the second half to make it 31-20, to and all of a sudden you thought like, hey, this could actually be a game. Florida State – was down 31 to seven and is now just down two scores with 14 and a half minutes to go. Right. Um, after a Corbin 75 yard run, the running game didn't look awful yesterday. Thoughts around Corbin and Ward and those guys that were kind of toting the rock a little bit. 
Yeah, I mean, the, the average 5.7 to carry, so a, a solid day, 205 yards on 36 attempts. So I thought that's kind of what Norvell wants. He wants to have that, you know, 35 to 45 rushes every game. And Corbin's just uh, makes it clear every week. He, he is your best player on offense, uh, regardless of position by far. You, you have to give that man more than 11 carries that he got yesterday. And I know the flow of the game was different. Um, I really just need to see eight and zero, right? Ward and Corbin. I don't need to see anybody else. I know Tua Philly offers, um, you know, a special skill set. He's kind of a home run threat, but Jay Sean Corbin has kind of proven he's a home run threat now. He did it against Notre Dame, uh, did it again yesterday. I, I love this rushing attack. And, you know, we just don't have the bodies up front to, to do what we want to do. Cause I imagine if we had just a, you know, an average, you know, a, a top 30. So we'll say good, a top 30 offensive line in the country, what this rushing offense could look like. And that's the task Mike Norvell has right now in recruiting is to get some offensive linemen in here to where he can run his offense successfully and efficiently, but he can't do it consistently right now, just with what he has. And I, if, if you're Mike Norvell or Kenny Dillingham or, or Alex Atkins, you just got to throw your hands up and be like, what? What can we do at this point? Because you can't publicly say, look, I just don't have the people. I don't have the athletes I need. But at the same time, it, it, Norvell can't, you know, if he says anything bad about the O-line or, or the offense in general or anything, he's throwing, you know, Dullingham or, or Atkins under the bus. Uh, maybe that receivers coach could be thrown under the bus. But uh, shout out to Andrew Parchman. Nice to show up for uh, the first time this season. He, he had a phenomenal game and him and Milton looked like they had something. So if you want to talk positive, that's one. Uh, and hopefully something to grow on. But yeah, I I love our I love that Mike Norvell wants to be committed to the rushing attack. Um, and it's there's just nothing this offense does really well, but running it, it and you set up plays like that, Jay Sean Corbin long touchdown. So maybe that's what we stick with. I, I don't know. How, how about you? So yes, the running game is is the best part of this game. Um, Milton looked more comfortable at times in the hurry up. I think our run blocking has gotten better. What makes it tough? is that when you're so run heavy, uh, like Corbin's long touchdown was a, it was blocked well, uh, but then Corbin made that play. And so um, what becomes tough is you're, you're needing those big splash plays and you, you can't do this, but if you take out Ward's long run and and Corbin's long run team really averaged like 3.2 yards a carry, not, is great. Now you always have the propensity to potentially break one of those long ones. And so that, that is kind of where that comes in, but it was early in the game. We were behind the sticks a lot. Right. And you can't, I just feel like you can't run every single time on first down. And there were a couple of times where we did run on first down, got a yard, ran again on second down, got a yard and you're putting Milton into a third and eight, or maybe we'd, try to set something up and we go with the play action and Milton held onto the ball a little too long, a few times got sacked and you're immediately in a second and 17 or a third and 18. And, and, and so it becomes tough to when the runs are running and you're running well, it's great. I did think DJ Williams ran well a couple of times yesterday as well. He, yeah. he went, he had a long, a long run of 10. He just kind of ran violently. Like I just thought he was always kind of falling forward and, and looked well or look, look to be running well. But yeah, the, the running game was good, and it was the best part of the game without a doubt. Um, But it's almost like if the running back, even with the better blocking, and, and I don't mean to be negative about the only positive, you know, on the in the game or with the team, but it's almost like if they don't 
make like a magical play or run it really well, then it's either like a 75 yard touchdown or a loss of one on first down. And, you know, you're kind of behind the sticks. And so it's, it's very like much with our offense, it's very boomer bust. And so when you get into that, anytime it's second nine, like I just automatically think like, all right, we're going to have to punt here, you know, <laughs> unless we, and, and when you're you know, not, when you're not running the ball on first down, you're throwing it, you know, a bubble screen out, out wide that's getting stopped for a, you know, a loss of a yard or a gain of a yard. I, I just think this offense is, is pretty predictable. And again, I, Mike Norvell, Kenny Dullingham, all those guys, they know a lot more about this team, this offense than I do, but just watching on the couch every week, I, I just see like, okay, yep, that's, that's what I expect from this offense at this point in the year. Now that we're four games in, um, and, and again, is there a way to fix this with the players we have right now? Because I don't think Mike Norvell's coaching for his job, even sitting here at own four, but it, you know, you finished this year two and 10, which looks probable right now. He heads into next year. His seat is uh scorching hot at that point. You just got to find a way to make it work with what you have right now, because this isn't a situation where you say, Hey, I got all these, all these great players coming because if you keep losing games, you know, it, I'm checked that the commit list every single Sunday. I'm like, all right, we still got everybody in the boat. Uh, and, and as long as you have Travis Hunter, I think you'll keep the majority of the class together. But if this thing goes too far the other way and Georgia or Bama can say, listen, what, what are you watching in Tallahassee? Come play for us. And he says, you know what? You're right. Let me do that. Then this recruiting class falls together. And I think at that point, Nor Norvell's dead to rights. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the couple of things saving Norvell right now is FSU's financial situation. We can't afford to pay three coaches uh, right now. And, uh, and the class, I, I think, I think there's an understanding and an awareness. Uh, I know the six and six isn't, isn't quite frankly good enough video by Coburn has, has gone around a few times, but yeah. I mean, this, this roster is absolutely driven into the ground by the previous staff. And, and so we, we've talked about this. We talked about it on the panel, more than half of FSU starters are transfers. And so um, he's doing, I think he's doing everything he can, you know, he's not without fault. certainly doesn't get a pass, but I think the understanding and the expectation has changed based on the, the talent on the roster. I think when you had guys that are, absolute monsters right now in the nfl um that the uh that the previous administration got to take advantage of with burns and samuel and acres and guys that are just making big big differences on sundays um then yeah you you had less leeway there right but who on this jermaine johnson who maybe corbin gets picked up as i mean he's looked good this year maybe corbin gets picked up as a late round guy who else on this roster is is playing on sundays right like I'm not saying there's no one, but I'm just, you know, yeah. I would there, be surprised there are, if Ward got a chance. I, I really like him even being a former walk-on. That that could give so, away. So you're talking like two or three. And and are they difference makers? Now Johnson no. looks like a difference maker, right? Like he yeah, looks like a guy sure. that can go second. At college, day. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but he looks like he could get in the NFL and roll, you know, and be like a rotational, you know, like so I, I don't know. I think that you know, the lack of talent on the roster and stuff is, is also saving it. But if he can hold the class together, I mean, then that's, that's massive, right? Like if he well, can sell those thing. kids on that. Yeah. Because you, you got to, you know, let's go back to 2016 or so when a lot of Florida state fans were calling for coach Hamilton, get fired, right. That we hadn't been at the tournament in several years. It seemed like the program had gone as far as it could under him. And it, a lot of people thought he was going to lose his job, but he had a guy named John Isaac committed to him. And everyone in the world knew John Isaac was going to be a lottery pick in the NBA. They said, hey, 
let's see what this happens when he brings this John Isaac kid onto onto the uh, team. And we all know what Florida State basketball has been since then. I think John Isaac really changed that program. And it's a little easier to do that in basketball when, you know, there's five men on the court at any given time versus football. But could Travis Hunter be Mike Norvell's John Isaac? Because that's what he needs if he wants to keep this job. And if he signs the class, if he can keep Hunter, Duffy, the majority of the offensive lineman class, you know, minus Luba, who I think is probably going to Georgia at this point. But if you can keep Hunter Duffy McCall and then the majority of those offensive linemen, I, at that point, that's what you're selling. If that falls apart, Mike Norvell has nothing. So he has to find a way to keep this class together at, at whatever it takes. He has to. Well, it sounds like, um, you know, a lot of the guys that we did mention there are staying pretty locked in. They're saying the right yeah. things, but that none of that really matters until, you know, signing day. I, I expect Hunter to, to stay. I expect Duffy to stay. I mean, he's kind of said the right things there yeah. as well. And I think that, you know, at the end of the day, we'll, we'll talk quarterbacks here in a minute, but at the end of the day, I mean, if you can keep Duffy, I mean, you're, that's probably your guy you're rolling with next year, right? Yeah. Like that's, that's <laughs> kind of what it comes down to. And so anyway, all right, uh, let's talk a little bit more about the game and then we'll kind of get into some more stuff. Florida state um, breaks off a 75 yard run and cuts the score to 11. Um, Defense uh, again played phenomenally after the first five drives of the game, which they allowed five straight scores. And by that time, it was just too much. It was almost a reverse of that UNC game from last year. You know, yeah. it was big lead, team storms back, but can't get all the way back at the end. Um, you know, the mountain was just a little too tall to climb. Florida State got into scoring range, um, you know, down by 11 with about five minutes to go in the third quarter. Um, Ended up attempting a field goal to start the fourth quarter and could not uh, score. Is that the one that I believe it was a third and five from Louisville's 29? Milton with a swing pass to Corbin. I think he dropped it. I, I think he would have had the first down, but if not, I mean, you're looking at fourth and one, fourth and two. Not that we've been great on fourth down anyway, but man, if he if he catches that, maybe that drive continues and at least the field goal is a little bit easier, but we miss a field goal after missing an extra point earlier in the half. Um, yeah. So the score remains uh, 31 to 20 and you kind of thought like, okay, well that was it. And, and uh, it wasn't Florida State's defense put pitch a three and out. Um, it four, know, three and outs in the second half. <laughs> really, really good there. Florida state gets about 20 yards, but can't convert on a fourth and three kind of tried to run a little bit of a trick play where Milton's looking toward the sideline. A lot of people, you know, hindsight's always 20-20, and so a lot of people complain about the call. I will say that if the tight end just isn't looking at the sideline, which was Milton's job to kind of try to throw it off, I think he, I think we had the block, and I think Cor Corbin gets the three yards, but didn't didn't execute. I mean, you can call it play calling, you can call it execution. Uh, it doesn't really matter. You know, I, I didn't, I don't know. I mean, I, I think at the end of the day, I don't really have a, you know, I wonder what they'd say about the punt Ruski if, you know, Clemson jumps on the ball yeah. right there instead of the, so I, at the end of the day, if, if it works, it's the greatest call ever. If it doesn't, it, it's not, you know, so I don't know. I, I, I don't, you know, Louisville went four and out and, and turned the ball over on downs, you know, a minute 22 later, um, Florida state did get a field goal to cut it to one score. And then Florida state had two chances, uh, but, but could not get it done. Had a nice drive going there at the end of the game, um, thanks to a uh, 
pass interference call in large part. Um, but uh, um, end of the game, Florida State threw the ball up to uh, Andrew Parchment. Looked like he had the had the defender and kind of slowed up on his route. Did not end up breaking up the pass. Florida State throws an interception to end the game. Um, Parchment did have a good game, but I don't know really what happened there on that last play. I thought he was in position to not only compete for the ball, but to at the very least break it up. That was only a second down, and so could have I, had two more chances at it. And so I don't, I don't know. That, get what McKenzie Milton's doing there. It's second and fourteen, and uh, it's not like uh, yeah, if he if he has his man beat down the sideline, that's fine. But they were kind of stride by stride, and on the interception, it almost looked like the Louisville player was the receiver, like he had parchment beat. It made no sense. I don't know why you forced that there. Well, Either throw I, it away. I mean, yeah, I do think it was a force, but I parchment, like you said, he was running stride for stride, and then parchment slowed up. So I don't know if it was a miscommunication or not. And I, I'm not saying it was a great decision by Milton, but if you have one on one with your number one wide receiver, but is he a number he one receiver? He's our number one receiver. Is he? <laughs> Yesterday mean, he yes. was sure, but yeah, I mean he is. I mean yeah, like there's yeah, he's he's not a number one, but he is our number one. Yeah, I'm just thinking he's, second and fourteen, you have to be smarter here like because now you're either third and 14 maybe you get the touchdown but it, it wasn't again if that's not a home run and you don't have a proven you know it, even yeah. like a tamari and terry who uh, you know you at, the, at the worst it. i mean you can put that on milton but i mean at the worst case that should have been an incomplete pass like there's no way that parchment should yeah. have slowed up there and yeah. so i don't have as much of a problem with it if it's just an incomplete pass like Florida State's not showing me that they're good enough to sustain drives. And so I think you got to take those shot yeah. plays. I mean, and again, it just goes back to the roster. We're talking about two one-year rental transfer players on that last play for Florida State. Uh, and it just emphasizes the importance of getting your own guys in here that are long-term because Jermaine Johnson's don't come around very often where they're just yeah, a massive home run in the, right. in the portal. Um, so we got to yeah. continue to that up. But yeah, that – I don't know. I put, like, yeah, I, I put it, yeah, I put it more on parchment. I don't yeah. mind taking the that's chance. That's fair too. And that's fair too. I, I, I don't just... mind taking the chance because to me, the worst case, that should be third and 14, right? And best yeah. case, you get a pass interference. He makes a great play. I don't know. I yeah. mean, I, I, also I, like, I don't, you know, I'd have to go back and look at it from like the all 22, but like, was there a better option open? I mean, maybe that was truly yeah, like fair. the best, you know, which I, I don't know. You have to kind of see it from a different angle, yeah. but I and wonder if it's a play that else. parchment makes in practice and uh, Milton's comfortable with, but again, I just, but again, again, we're talking about second and 14 instead of, you know, second and seven or something, but where, right. Where you've got to should be. So, yeah, you almost got to take a shot. I mean, at least you got to get a big chunk of yards to get back into third manageable. And so, I don't know. It, it, I just have no idea why he slowed up. I don't. I didn't really watch the post game stuff to to know if anybody was kind no. of asked. Or, <laughs> I have no desire to watch. You know. But um, Louisville ends up winning first zero four start, I believe, since like nineteen seventy one for Florida State. Um, I do think it gets a little bit easier this weekend. We'll yeah, we'll talk Syracuse. <laughs> uh, we'll talk Syracuse on Thursday in our preview show. But uh, I think it gets slightly easier. Um, and I'll pro- I, I will say this. All right, let's let's before we move ahead. I was I was proud of the way that the team fought down four scores to not give up, right? I don't or down three scores, 24 is technically three, but I was proud of the way the team fought to not not just quit. Because I thought we were gonna get boat raised. I thought it was gonna end up just like last year, 
where we lost by 40 or 50. And so they didn't quit. That's about the most you can say for the team. Again, lost the turnover battle. We're last in the country with a negative six in, in the turnover battle. Um, but I was proud of the way the team fought. I thought the defense stepped up in the second half and did a good job of, of kind of shutting them down and giving us a chance. And like I said, we're just not a good football team, so it was too tall of a mountain to climb. But somehow the team seems bought in. Um, I don't know how and why, but I know that it, I know the team looks different than they did under previous regimes, the last two regimes, when they just quit. Florida State quit in 2017. They quit in 2018. They quit in 2019. Um, last year was so weird that I, I really don't know if, if guys quit or not. Like, I, yeah, the, I, I, quit, I quit last year during the COVID year, but, uh, they, they don't look, they don't look like they've quit. I mean, I, I don't know what it'll look like Saturday against Syracuse, but I guess that's something like yeah. he's kept, he's kept the recruiting class together. He's kept the locker room together for the most part. So there, I guess there's that, right. And that's the that's the bare minimum that you expect from a football team. But like you said, they uh, they quit. I, I remember that 2017 uh, Boston College game on a Friday night national television where they lose 35 to three, and it, that was a team that quit. Yeah, right? and we saw it happen. Uh, you know, under Coach Taggart as well, and Coach Norvell. We haven't seen it yet, but how long can this team go on? You know, giving effort is the bare minimum expectation even if you go to like pop warner football right you, your coaches they don't care if you're good they just want to see you give effort uh, so that's the bare minimum expectation and the team did that but i, I can't continue to congratulate them just for trying hard <laughs> at some no, point I, you have to you have to get a win and this weekend is a really good chance to get one well i i so shocker here but we'll 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 agree to disagree on this too, but I, I don't know. Like, I do think there is something to be said about not quitting. Like, cause you just see teams quit. How many teams 0 and 4? How many teams with Florida State's pedigree 0 and 4 don't quit? Yeah. Right. Like, like I'm just telling you, like, in today's society where everyone gets a trophy and everything's about participation and everything's, I'm just telling you, like, kids are soft. And I'm not saying yeah. our kids are because clearly they're showing something different, but like, I don't know. There's something to be, to me, there's something to be said about the fact that he's gotten them to buy in and continue yeah. to they care. Now, do they, they, they care? Do they, so. And and they, and we haven't in the past, we've quit. Yeah. It's been noticeable that we quit. And okay. So if you were at 18, 19, okay. So you're 21, 22. And like you had like six or seven games left in your college career. Like, I'm not sure I wouldn't quit, you know, like, all right, I'm over this man. Like I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm tired of getting, CTE and hurt and beat up game after game after game just to hang out with these losers, right? Like, yeah. I just, if you're competing for a national title or you're competing for something, like, I mean, I get the love of the game and everything else, but like, I don't know. Again, it's, we got to get more than that. Like, I'm not saying that's enough, but I, I'm, sh to me, it's almost shocking that yeah. you're not seeing. I'll, I'll give you that because that's, I, I think of my, uh, my junior year in high school, our football team, we went 0 and 10 that year. And by like week six, I was checked out. I'm like, man, is it basketball yeah. season? Yeah, I'm ready for basketball. Like I'm leaving football practice to go do shoot rounds in the gym because I basketball is my, my main sport in, in high school. But yeah, I checked out and quit. Like I, I was useless to my team. Um, so to the credit, again, we're not seeing that right now. And hopefully they continue that. And if they can get a win over Syracuse, suddenly North Carolina doesn't look so daunting either. The entire ACC looks, I'm, I'm not saying Rather they're going to go off and get right. a bunch of wins. 
but all these teams look beatable to include Clemson. I don't know what's going on there, but if you thought we could compete with NC state, then we can compete with Clemson right now. We're not there, but maybe it just takes one win. You look at Penn state last year, they start 0 five. They win their last four games They're four. No, now top 15 in the country. I'm not saying Florida state's about to do that, but there is precedent. You're allowed to turn this around. You don't just have to keep losing games. You're allowed to go win a game. You should win. And you're allowed to go win a game. You shouldn't. And yeah. that's what Mike Norvell's tasked to do. And hopefully we see that this year. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, looking at the rest of the schedule, I, I, I mean, I'm going to pick us to, to beat Syracuse. I'll say that. Um, Florida's you know, the only team. I don't think we have any chance at all. It may yeah. be Clemson. You could maybe throw Clemson, but they've, they've not looked good. Yeah. I Clemson will figure their offense out, you know, against us, but I, I think that, you know, you've got your, you've got a great ch- chance against Syracuse. I, I think we end up losing to UNC, but I don't think we get Likely. blown out. Like I thought we did at one point, um, beat UMass, lose to Clemson, lose to NC state. Miami's not very good. BC's not great. I mean, I know they beat Missouri yesterday, but Missouri stinks too. I mean, those bottom level, the bottom level, everybody tries to argue that the SEC is just more stacked. I mean, bottom level SEC teams lose the bottom level ACC teams yeah. all the time. Like it's just, they're, they're both teams are trash. And so at BC on the road is, is a tough one, but yeah, I mean, I think you could still get to like three, four wins. I, it's probably two, like it's probably mm-hmm. Syracuse and UMass. And then maybe you upset somebody, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think you, you try and you, you just got to go out and, I mean, I don't know. This is going to be a game where Florida State's favored. We'll talk about it more on Thursday. But you got to go out and just win, right? You just got to win this one. If you win this one, then you know you're going to beat UMass. You're going to win two out of three games. Then you're going to go play Clemson, who's not very good. Clemson could have another loss by the time we play them. And I'm not going to talk myself into thinking we can beat Clemson (laughs) at all because I I do think they're leaves and bounds better than us. But Clemson has to play BC at Syracuse at Pitt. Pitt scored like 77 points yesterday. So like, I, you know, there's, yeah, I know they were playing, you know, the university of New Hampshire, but they scored 77 points yesterday. Like, I don't know. That could be a fun one. You know, they, they put 41 on Tennessee, which is the same thing Florida did yesterday. So uh, I don't know. Season outlook. It's not great. Probably finish it two and 10. Um, But if you find a way to hold on to the recruiting class, don't quit. Maybe next year. You know, you're setting up next year to maybe be like a seven and five, six and six type season. And, you know, <laughs> how cool to be if National Signing Day was February 10th this year and we go two and 10 and yeah. sign a top 10 class? Uh, Would not. I'm hoping <laughs> that we sign guys in December. Yes. Like, yeah. Well, and that's the problem. If, if you don't get signatures in December, they're not really committed at that it's, point. It makes it pretty tough. So, anyway, um, quick look at, uh, Quick look at some other things. Oh, last thing, and then and then uh, we'll roll. Uh, Milton was just okay yesterday. Certainly not great by any means. Twenty four of thirty nine for two hundred forty eight yards. Uh, had a pick and a touchdown. Um, it was definitely either com- very hot or very cold. Um, he looks to get the ball out quickly. He, I thought he put the ball on target most of the day. Um, you know when we were moving in the hurry up and, and the TV guys said this, when, when we were moving and moving it quickly, I think that uh, that helped because it just took a lot of the thinking out when they brought pressure. He did a pretty good job of finding guys when they dropped eight, it it definitely became a little bit tougher for him to fit the ball into some of those windows. Um, The whole fan base is clamoring for Purdy and and I'm not on that train, but are you thinking you, I'm thinking we stick with Milton, your, your thoughts there of what we should do. I think we will. Um, and I'm, 
kind of indifferent either way because you do have to find a way to win some games this year. And if Milton's that best option, you, you got to ride with him. I think he's very similar to what he was at UCF, just not the athlete he was there. He, he was very inconsistent at UCF, but he showed up in the right times. Um, and, uh, you know, at Florida State so far, he's been pretty inconsistent, but you see those flashes. If they wanted to give it to Purdy, I'd be fine with it. But I guess my problem is if we haven't seen Purdy through four games on an 0-4 team, he's probably not doing his job in practice to a level where Coach Dillingham, Coach Norvell feel comfortable rolling him out there because uh, you've got to start playing for the future at some point. We're not going to a bowl this year, so scratch that off off the list of possibilities. So I'd like to see – keep going with Milton because you don't want to, you know – reward a guy just because he's young and in potentially the future you want to go with who's putting in the work at practice who's a leader in the locker room but maybe see some packages for purdy i wouldn't be mad at that but i i don't I, care I, short I answer think there's a, i think there's a reason we haven't gone to yeah to purdy i'll just you know i think i i i don't know why i trust this staff to put the guy out there that gives us the best chance to win uh, you've got to win some games. You've got yeah, to they're show. not trying to lose. They're not trying yeah. to pick the worst players. And, <laughs> yeah. Like I, I think that there's a comfort level there uh, with Milton and when Milton's good, I mean, he, he, he looks pretty good. You know, the problem is that it's, it's pretty hot and cold. He holds on to the ball a little bit too long at times. And he definitely did that yesterday. Put us in some long yardage situations, which is kind of rough. Um, uh, a couple of FSU sports kind of happening today. Obviously uh, Florida state, grads daniel berger and brooks kepka will probably win the Ryder cup by the time that this airs um fsu volleyball soccer and golf all have competitions today check out doublefriesnoslaw.com for a full recap of this weekend's athletic events um which will come out in the morning but uh as for right now we're recording before they Started in those matches, so it's tough to tell you how they went. Um, yeah, well, sh- shout out to uh Brooks and Berger on Friday morning. They went out and uh, won their match, and then they got paired again Saturday and, and lost unfortunately yesterday. Uh, both going out today as individuals. I think Brooks goes out at 110, so a little less than an hour from right now. But like you said, TJ, by the time people are watching this, the United States will be popping champagne at Whistling Straits, uh, and it'll be Good to see, uh, you know, a couple of get that. Did you see real quick from uh, Paul Azinger uh, from Friday after Brooks and Berger won? So, oh, man. And so Paul Azinger, a phenomenal Florida State graduate as well, um, a former Ryder Cup captain. He was calling the match. And when Brooks uh, made the putt to win the match, he's like, a win for the U.S., a win for Florida State. First win of the season for the Seminoles. <laughs> That's <laughs> well, pretty uh, epic. P- people were pretty upset about it. I'm like, guys, he went to Florida State. He's allowed to, you know, crack that joke. Maybe he just meant first win of the season for FSU golf. So there, there you go. Um, <laughs> all right, cool. Favorite part of the episode, snacking with Sky. We'll play this. We'll come back, give a couple shout outs, and we will get out of here. Um, this week, season's been pretty rough. It's not been fun. This week. We're sipping with Sky. So a little bit different. We're going to proof. So take it away. Welcome to the review that literally nobody asked for. It is me drinking beer and then telling you about that beer, even though I don't drink beer. Perfect. Welcome to Snacking with Sky. It's the show where I eat food and then I tell you about that food. But wait, just when you thought you had me figured out. Instead of snacking today, we are trying three beers from Proof right here in Tallahassee. So welcome to the first ever 
sipping with Sky. Listen, if you're looking for the in-depth beer review with a lot of insight and knowledge, that is not this. This is a girl who doesn't drink beer asking for a beer to be drinkable. As you can see, I'm in my winter wardrobe. That's because it finally dropped below 60 for a whole two minutes this week. So it's time to open a crispy boy. I'm gonna compare three beers today from Proof. So what we're gonna rank them on is first sip factor, originality, and then of course, drinkability. We're looking for the most tailgatable beer. I don't drink beer, which, hear me out, makes me perfect for this kind of review and for finding the beer that is most tailgatable. So here's the lineup today, ladies and gents. We have 850, which as I understand it, is Proof's kind of old reliable. I just know that it's a popular one. Oh, it says it on the can, what it is. 850 is an American pale ale. I don't know what any of this means. What makes it a pale ale? This is an American pale ale. It's called that because it's light. Yep. Next up is Proof Mango Wit. It's a Belgian wit beer. Wit beer. It's a Belgian. It's a Belgian. It's a Belgian. I have no idea what I'm doing. Last but not least, this one's new and it looked pretty, so I grabbed it. Game On, which it's a margarita lager. Without further ado, let's, do I say sip into it? Do I say snack into it? Because I could say let's, you know, crack into it. Let's sip into it. I am bad at opening cans. This just proves that I don't drink beer. So if you can't open cans like me, what I've been told is that you push down here. Proof, 850. Mmm, getting notes of wheat. I didn't want an IPA because everybody knows that IPAs are just plants masquerading as beer. First sip factor, definitely some hops. Listen, I can understand how people would like this. I mean, as far as originality, it's a pretty normal beer. But this is not it for all day for me. What do you expect of me? If you like hoppier beer that's a little bit lighter, this is definitely where you live. Now, is it where the general public lives? As a representer of the general public, no. 2.5 out of 5. So this is Proof Mango Wit, the Belgian wit beer. Wit beer? No one says that. This is the Belgian. Mmm, mm-hmm, that's really nice. The first sip factor, you really get a nice little, almost like a citrusy note. You don't get like, wow, that's mango. A little bit of sweetness to it, which makes it, in my opinion, really, really drinkable. Then originality, I've seen mango beers before, but it's not like something that you always see. That I, I rarely see those on draft, especially in a can. That's really nice. I'm gonna give it a 3.5 out of five overall score. Okay, here's Cliff Notes on the can. This is literally exactly what I said. Why is there a picture of a monkey on the back of this can? Why is beer so weird? I'm very excited about this because I'm a big, big fan of margaritas. And game on, it's the margarita lager. I have no idea really what a lager is. Okay, here we go. That is, that is awesome. <laughs> Shut up. Am I a beer drinker? Y'all, this is, it's almost like drinking a Sprite, like a lemon lime, but it has a really nice, light, airy crispness to this. Yeah, that's, oh guys, that's good. Oh my God, and I've never had anything like this. I've never seen a margarita lager. This is it. This is legitimately, I have never given like a 10 out of 10 on Snack in the Sky. 100% gets a five out of five from me.
listen, y'all are on to something. Please don't stop making this. I don't like beer and I, am I in love? Maybe. If you're looking for the most tailgatable beer in Tallahassee, look no further. I've done the legwork. My job is hard. Someone's got to do it. Thanks so much for snacking with Sky. Wait, it's not even snacking this week. What am I even doing? Just to remind myself. Thanks so much for snacking. Oh my God. Sipping. We're sipping. Thanks so much for sipping with Sky. That's not the one I like. It's this one. Cheers. Stay thirsty. I will see you at the tailgate. Sipping with Sky this week. Uh, shout out to the good folks at Proof. Hopefully you guys like that review. She was very, she was nice. So like, I'm sure you will. So, um, okay. Uh, shout outs this week. Shout out my wife and kids as we deal with all the stress of moving. And shout out myself and Richie for continuing to do this podcast, even though this team <laughs> is absolutely terrible. Uh, Richie, any shout outs? No, the same one as uh, Thursday, Trey Jones, uh, Brooks Kepka, Daniel Berger. Let's uh, bring this home for the United States. So, what's your go-to tailgate drink, TJ? Because IPAs, I love them, but it's hard to drink a lot of them outside in the sun. It really depends on if <laughs> Please, she doesn't watch this. It depends on if my wife's around or not. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Like, because I, I, like, I'll do, but I, okay. Like an all-day IPA. So like a session IPA would yeah, be my like, go-to. Or like a, just a cheap beer. Like cheap beer would be great. I like, actually, when I used to get a keg for tailgates, shout out the peelers and stuff. I used to get a keg of Yingling because it was like a, a good mix between like a cheap beer and a um, like kind of a craft beer, you know, like it yeah. was kind of in the middle of that. It's not too heavy where you drink six of them right. and you're like feeling yeah. miserable. But it's so. not so light that it's just terrible. But like, I don't know, man, like I'll, I'll drink anything, you know, like I've just done straight bourbon at tailgates. I mean, I've done... Yeah, but an all-day IPA is probably, you know, probably my go-to. Because I, I do. I like IPAs, man. You and I are the same on that. Like, I'm going to go watch a game right now and go get an IPA. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, what's yours? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's really weather-dependent. Like, when we were at the Notre Dame game, it wasn't bad because we had the tent. So, it wasn't bad drinking those IPAs all day. But like you said, uh, I'm not a beer snob. I just prefer IPAs. But I'm not above, like, a Bud Light or something at, at a tailgate just because of, of how easy it goes down. Yeah, I do a lot of Mick Ultras. Um, it, so. In my 20s, uh, there'd be at least one handle of Fireball, and I, I'd take multiple shots of those. I have a picture of me chugging out of a Fireball handle outside of the Rose Bowl in Pasadena on the golf course before that game. Um, but yeah, it's, I, I find myself drinking more and more water in tailgates. I drink as much alcohol as I used to. I just now incorporate a lot more water because I feel like I'm smarter at this point. We've uh we've all grown as people is what yeah. is what it's come down to. So, all right, cool. Double fries, no slaw. Again, brought to you by Guthrie's in Tallahassee. Thank you to um, Sky for a great uh, for another great edition of Sipping with Sky. We will be back on Thursday to preview um, the game against Syracuse, in which we think Florida State will pick up a win. So, uh, beat Q's. Let's get to one win. Let's get to one and get that goose egg out of the loss column. Um, <laughs> And we'll see you guys on uh, on Thursday. Go.